0: Hey everyone, it's Caleb. I'm so glad that you've decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me on the Learner's Corner podcast. And today I am so excited to be joined by Preston Sprinkle. He has recently released a brand new book called Embodied, and the subtitle is Transgender Identities, the Church, and What the Bible Has to Say. And, you know, it's really for conversations like the one that I get to have with Preston or that I had with Preston, that is the reason why, you know, uh, I started the podcast uh, with my best friend, Todd Hixenbaugh. you know, however many years ago or over, um, you know, over four years ago, is we started the Learner's Corner for conversations like this because we didn't have a place to go to where we could learn about these things. And hopefully, you know, the Learner's Corner can be that for you, a place to where you can go and you can learn and you can have where um, you get to hear a uh, dialogue amongst people and learn about things that maybe you didn't know about before. And if this happens to be your first time, you know, really here on the learner's corner, we want to create a safe place to have dangerous conversations such as the one that we're having. And the reason why they can sometimes be dangerous is because you're not sure how other people are going to respond to it. It could be uh, very, very fearful that you might be judged for even bringing up something like uh like the, tra- the transgender conversation that we're going to have today. And that's why I'm so excited to bring this conversation to you, because I truly believe that we should be able to have a conversation about anything, that we should be able to dialogue about anything, especially for, for someone like myself that is a follower of Jesus. We shouldn't be afraid to have any types of conversations with anyone. And so I'm so excited to bring in this conversation with Preston. But before we do that, I do want to give a couple of quick shout outs to Garrett Oler, who does the editing for this podcast and Sam Massey, who has created the music for this podcast as well. Super grateful for the both of them and for just making the podcast better. And it is well. And uh, if something resonates with you on this or it, whether or not there's something that there is just something that you're super excited about that you've been learning about recently, whether that be a book or something that sparks uh, your thoughts from this conversation, I would love to hear from you. You can reach me at Caleb J. Mason, which is my Instagram handle. And uh, yeah, would just love to hear from you. But in the meantime, I'm excited to bring this conversation with you and just a little bit about Preston. Preston is First of all, he's a doctor. He is Dr. Preston Sprinkle, and he is the president of the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. He is a New York Times bestselling author who's written a dozen books, including People to be Loved, an award-winning book on faith and homosexuality. And right now, Preston and his wife, Chris, live in Boise, Idaho with their four kids. Now, without any further wait, here is my conversation with Preston Sprinkle. Preston, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today to talk about your brand new book, Embodied.
1: Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah, and just as we're getting started, anytime that that someone that I'm talking with someone who has released either a book or a piece of art, um, I absolutely love hearing what was the the thing or the series of events or the story that that led someone to go, Hey, I I really feel like I I need to create something and put this out into the world. And so I would just love to hear what made you want to write Embodied.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. There's probably several reasons. I guess it really goes back to my previous book. Um, another book I wrote It's called People to be Loved, Why Homosexuality is Not Just an Issue. And it just looks at what does the Bible say about same-sex sexual relationships? How should the church understand this conversation and um, it has a lot of a lot of relationship uh, stories that I tell in the the book a lot of uh, scriptural analysis theology practical advice and everything so I I, uh, that book came out in 2015 and it was really at the tail end of that book um, where I realized that um, LGBT is not a synonym for gay (laughs) being gay Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Uh, oftentimes people use it that way but I began to realize that um you know, homosexuality or same-sex sexuality has to do with the LGB, but the T and sometimes even TQ+, plus um, mm-hmm. in the acronym, raises a whole different series of questions. Um, and I began to, you know, so my sexuality book came out in 2015. It was after um, the Supreme Court decision to legalize same-sex marriage. So that kind of culturally was the end of an era in in many ways i mean many gay and lesbian people had fought for decades for that decision so once that was over a lot of them were kind of like all right we're good you know and um they were by that time you know a lot of gay and lesbian people for the most part were treated like everyone else you know whereas in the past there was a lot of just stigma and even persecution And, and not that that doesn't exist still but um so that kind of created space for the tea conversation the transgender conversation and so honestly it was really in the wake of finishing that book where I'm like I think I need to really dive deep into the nitty-gritty of specifically the the transgender conversation because we can't just lump these all all the letters together they they really are uh different conversations which within a much broader um, conversation there was that and then there was also you know as I looked around at resources I, I didn't find any that I felt like were I mean, there's there's some good stuff out there that hit different aspects of the conversation, um, but I didn't find one that I felt like was combining um, theology, Bible, ethics, psychology, biology, mm-hmm. um, in a in a relational way. You know, that's actually listening to trans people, and um, so yeah, it's like I'm, I'm unless another book comes out <laughs> between now and then, I'm gonna pursue that, you know, I'm trying to understand this, this aspect of the conversation. So it was the hardest book I've ever written. Most challenging book I've ever written. It was, um, I told you offline, you know, I think it went through about 10 different drafts, went through a couple dozen readers before it even got to my editor. And then he just, you know, ripped it to shreds and, you know, it's just, it's been through a lot, a lot of scrutiny, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm excited to see how people receive it. Uh,
0: can, can you talk a little bit about like, just what uh i mean and you you kind of went through this a little bit with your book people to be loved but almost like willing to start a conversation that not a lot of people want to have or maybe they're Mm -hmm. afraid to have or um if they hear the conversation starting then anger comes because it's like you can't talk about like what has it been like to just be like just in the middle of all of
1: that yeah (laughs) It's funny. I was just on another podcast. They, they asked asked the exact same question. You know how, do, <laughs> and it's um, yeah. Especially in twenty twenty one, I thought twenty twenty one would have brought you know a new light, but uh, apparently hasn't. But I mean, just we live in a profoundly polarized, tribalistic, uh, cultural context, and um, unfortunately, the church has absorbed a lot of that. You know, and so we haven't been good about we haven't been we haven't done a good job at just learning how to graciously interact with controversial topics. But things get so heated. And just from a psychological perspective, you know, when when just a physiological, you know, like when when emotions run high, it's hard to think clearly. And oftentimes we end up defending or rebuking out of fear. We're not really trying to understand what somebody's actually trying to say, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think because especially sexuality or especially the transgender conversation that that is such a volatile topic in the church, all the more need to um, say, okay, let's, let's calm down. Let's just look at everything. Let's do a lot of research. Let's get our facts straight. Let's learn how to ask the right questions and let's do a lot of listening to the actual people that we're Mm -hmm. talking about. (laughs) I think it's always important. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, I do enjoy it. I mean, I, (laughs) I don't enjoy controversies. People think I'm like, you must be such a combative, controversial person. I'm really not. I actually don't. Controversy makes me anxious. Um, but I do love helping the church think clearly and thoroughly and intelligently and graciously and humbly through these controversial topics typically controversial topics elicit a lot of anger and and not a lot of listening so i like to do something different i think
0: yeah i think uh one of one of the quotes that you include uh in your book from Mark Yarhouse uh, that i think sets up the the book very well and I, Uh, I think will help set up our conversation really well is uh, you quote him and he says, you know, if you've met one transgender person, you've met one transgender person. Can you just talk about just the importance of just that idea whenever it comes to us engaging with the transgender community?
1: Yeah. So with, with any kind of um, group of people, say, say gay people, lesbian people, straight people, whatever, Um, there's always going to be diversity within that group, different ethnic groups, you know, there's always going to be individuality and diversity. So it kind of is an obvious point that um, there is diversity within the trans, the overarching trans experience. But I would say especially, like there's, especially in the trans, within the trans experiences, there's, there's so much sometimes complicated, um, diversity within that term, within that identity, um, you know, just to, I'll throw out some stuff and I, I can define these later, but, mm-hmm. you know, just, just, to, um, yeah, just to give you kind of a, a shotgun, you know, a list of different things. I mean, there's a difference between somebody who experiences, for instance, rapid onset gender dysphoria, early onset gender dysphoria, or perhaps even autogenophilia. Those are very, very different experiences. There's some trans people who have repressed misogyny, repressed homophobia that's related to their uh, transgender experience. There's some trans people who don't don't even experience gender dysphoria but still identify as trans. There's some trans people who believe they were born in the wrong body. Other trans people who don't even think that's a thing, but they still experience a disconnect. There's some kids whose disconnect goes away after purity. For others, it stays. Um, Some who believe transitioning is the right thing to do. Some who don't think it's the right thing to do. Some who transition and detransit. I mean, I can go on and on and on, but these are all wildly different experiences. So that's the, that all of that is kind of packed into that Mark Yarhouse quote, you know, Uh, we, we have to, we have to get away from thinking transgender, a trans person and think that means like, oh, you believe that you don't know anything about that person. All you know is that they just told you they are a trans, you know, if you mean, that's all yeah. you know, you know, nothing else beyond that. Um, and so that is that is a necessary starting point. And it's it's unfortunate that a lot of people don't even realize the wide spectrum of trans experiences. Um, but that's 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 where we need to start if we're going to actually engage people with the love of Christ.
0: Yeah. And, and I know that that was the case for me of like, even just going through your book and finding out. What does, what does trans even mean? And like, you even do a good job of like, you put the asterisk in the yeah. book of like, Hey, it, it encompasses so many different things. Yeah. And I, and I think you're absolutely right in terms of like the LGBTQ plus community trans is probably the one that is the, the, there's so much vastness.
1: Yeah. To it. Yeah. That, yeah. And and it also, I would say, involves so many different, really, so many different, for lack of better terms, you know, academic disciplines, you know, like psychology, philosophy, biology, obviously theology and Bible mm-hmm. and um, brain science, a lot of neuroscience, you know, even the question, you know, is it scientifically possible for a biological male to have a female brain? is there such thing as male and female brains? Is the brain sexually dimorphic? I mean, we can keep, there's a rabbit hole. You can keep going. But the, these are, these are not just abstract questions. The, mm-hmm. These are profoundly important for people who are going through this. You know, is my brain, did my brain get put in the wrong body? You know, is a, is a, uh, is a live question for, for some people, which as you know, I spend a whole chapter talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, one one of the things that I
0: that I wanted to ask and I know that uh we've probably talked about one of them of just the the assumption that um trans people are all the same is what are some common assumptions or even some common uh missteps that you see like the Christian community making whenever it comes to the the trans community
1: Yeah, oh man um I think. There's just a lot of ignorance, and I don't say that in a degrading way, yeah. um, just in a fact, like just the unknowing. And, and most Christians, will, you know, it, it, the word ignorant just sounds de- yeah. like it sounds yeah. derogatory, uh, but I yeah. mean, uh, most Christians would admit, yeah, I don't know, I, I yeah, know. yep. So there's that. Um, the ones that do think that they know, oftentimes their knowledge comes from their favorite political pundit, um, kind of cultural the culture wars, you know, because you have Mm -hmm. trans activists on one side saying stuff. And then you have like people on the other side that hate trans activists and they're going to battle. And it's like, first of all, that only represents kind of two perspectives. Second of all, it's almost like both of those are being almost purposely inflammatory. Um, That's not where we should take our discipleship guidance from, you know, people that, you know, are, are kind of fighting this culture war. Um, And what's sad is a lot of people, actual trans individuals who don't resonate with either of those kind of culture war perspectives that are getting lost in the crossfire, you know. Um, So, yeah, so a lot of ignorance, but the the knowledge that is being kind of absorbed is from sources that I think aren't always that helpful. Um, And then just a lot of listening. I mean, um, and this goes years ago when I just started to engage the homosexuality conversation. I'll never forget, you know, sitting down, just listening to lots of gay people, lesbian people. A lot of them were raised in the church. Some of them still were still in the church. Some, many weren't. And I'll never forget the most common response I got from almost everybody that I was talking to was I've never met a Christian who just wanted to listen to me. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, what a sad commentary on the church. But it, it it's true, you know? And it, so that very much carries over into the trans conversation, especially since... Yeah christians are getting a better understanding on the lgb of the lgbt plus um, but people are still like confused about the t um so when people are scared oftentimes they don't want to they're just kind of like they you know they listen to their favorite podcast and that's about it but they're not like they're too scared to even kind of listen to somebody um so yeah a lot of listening um yeah
0: i think i think one of the things uh and there's so much helpful stuff one of the One of the great things that I think you do early in the book is you talk about how we need to get really clear on two specific words whenever it comes to uh, understanding the transgender conversation. You talk about understanding, hey, what do, like the term sex and then the terms gender. Can you just elaborate on a little bit more about why it's important to understand them and kind of your definitions of them too?
1: Yeah, this is, um, you cannot engage this conversation unless you have a very clear understanding of sex and gender. Um, sex well, in, in well, up until the 1970s, uh, these terms were used interchangeably, and even today, a lot of people, yeah, use them interchangeably. But it, within the trans conversation, or even just a broader gender conversation, um, sex refers to your biological sex, whether you're a male or female, and that is based on just some basic biology your um people say is it just a penis well it's love it's it's your your chromosomes whether you have a y chromosome or not um uh your your systems of reproduction um the level of hormones that your body produces in biological males testosterone is much higher and that has effects both on your physiology but also um it has effects on your brain your behavior your interests estrogen same thing so um and that this is you know b- the earth is round and not flat, and humans, the human species, is a sexually dimorphic species. That's, those are just observations. That's not an argument, although in some circles that, that is being debated. But, um, so se- sex is relatively straightforward. Gender is, um, when people use it not as a synonym of sex, okay, gender refers to your psychological or social response, um, to male or femaleness. Um, so the uh, gender can be broken down into like three areas, gender identity, your internal sense of who you are, um, gender expression, how you, how you express yourself. You know, if you were, um, you know, a, a female who wears dresses and, um, stays at home, has a bunch of kids, like you're expressing yourself in more, stereotypical feminine ways that's that would be gender your dress your kind of lifestyle your mannerisms so on your interests um that's really not your your biology. you're female whether you do that or not so another woman could wear a business suit be a ceo um never cry during movies you know um loves action movies not chick flicks whatever and she's just as female as the stay-at-home mom that wears pink dresses whatever um, but their gender expression is 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 very different um, and then you have gender role, like the kind of societal expectation for male, for males and females. Um, mm-hmm. so, um, the biggest question, the biggest question boils down to this. And it's, I, I rarely see people raise the, this question, you know, if somebody's gender identity, their internal sense of who they are, if that is incongruent with their biological sex, then which one are they? Like from a, who does God see? Are they male or female? You know, does their internal sense of self overrule their biological sex or vice versa? And why? Because <laughs> some of you, some will have a really quick answer, but I'm going to say, ah, ah, hold on, hold on. Um, there's a lot of complexity here that you need to wrestle with before you give a real informed um, answer. But that that really is the essence of the conceptual aspect of the trans conversation you know when, when there's a conflict between gender identity and biological sex which one are they as as a person
0: mm-hmm. uh why do you think we because like until uh until i had like read that question in your book it seems like the conversation is about so many other things right. why why do you think we get so caught up in the other questions versus the question that you like
1: just raised that's a good That's a, oh man, why do we get caught? Um, mm, off the top of my head, I think going back to my earlier point, I think we are shaped by some of the cultural conversations and those are more driven by rights and, um, and acceptance and tolerance and other things that um, aren't really hitting at the heart of the actual issue. um. That and also just there there is a lot of again using this as a neutral way, a lot of ignorance surrounding the trans conversation, you know? Mm -hmm. Um and even among really intelligent people, and I I I don't know, it sounds arrogant to me. Like I have figured it out. I'm not saying that, but I um I do I I hear a lot of even like the sex and gender distinction, which is pretty accepted in Mm -hmm. in in the discussion, but I hear people blur those distinctions all the time i hear people blur those distinctions 5 minutes after they just said sex is different than gender then later on they're using the terms interchangeably <laughs> it happens all the time so mm-hmm. there there is a lot of just i think sloppiness in how people are thinking about this um um yeah i don't know that yeah that um or they take it for granted you know because there is such an elevation i think of our our identity, our internal sense of who we are, our desire, like because that is become kind of very authoritative in our broader culture, then in some circles, if you identify as whatever and your internal sense of and that's your internal sense of self, then it's kind of a there's no question. It's like, oh of course that's who you are. Mm-hmm. Body is just the shell that, you know, you kind of have to lug around. It's not essential to who you are. It's is how some people would That's just, that would be their kind of base level worldview. So that question would not even be impressive to them because they would say, well, of course, your internal sense is who you are. Um, Or or in other circles, it might be the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah.
0: What surprised you the most in writing this book that you learned about the transgender community?
1: Say say that again.
0: What surprised you the most in, in your conversations with people, in your research about the trans community?
1: surprised me oh man um i don't think i've ever been asked that question i don't know if this is su- pri- well maybe that some of the views promoted by so-called trans activists or even being taught in public schools pretty widespread um, there's a lot of trans identified people that don't resonate with that. Um, there's a very loud, very powerful small group of trans activists um, who a lot of people think are kind of speaking for every single trans person or most trans people. There's a lot of um, ideological diversity within people who identify as trans. I've, I've got a, i have got i just did an interview. A Week ago, it comes out in a couple weeks on my podcast with an older person who identifies as transsexual who is has been so outspokenly critical of trans activism. Almost you wonder, like, how are you even a transsexual? You know, but she's (laughs) so outspoken against what she sees as just an unscientific set of views that are being promoted by transact. I think she was even kicked off Twitter or something, or I mean, uh. Yeah. Um, and so there, and, and then you have a whole wide range of people. I'm some of the most beautiful sold out followers of Jesus. I know who pray more, pray for me more than, you know, in, my best friend prays for me. Uh, maybe not, yeah. um, you know, identifies as trans, you know? So even, even that like robust spirit, I guess that what that wasn't so, you yeah, asked specifically what was most surprising that may be surprising for other people. For me, I guess I've been in this, Conversation for a while that I'm kind of used to having, same sex attracted, gay, lesbian, trans, followers of Jesus, um, just you know, uh, exude the presence of Christ. So I'm that. Eight years ago, that was surprising, I guess, but not not so much anymore. But um, yeah, I got to keep thinking about that. I might come back and if something else comes to mind, the most surprising,
0: yeah, definitely. Uh, one of one of the things, uh, that you write about in there is that. Uh, in the recent years that we've, uh, seen more and more, uh, teenage teenagers questioning their identity. Can you talk a little bit more about why, why that is?
1: So there is a a growing phenomenon of especially teenage females. Yeah. Questioning their identity specifically, you know, identifying as something other than their biological sex, um, Mm -hmm. To put it in perspective, in the last ten years, there's been a five thousand percent increase—not five hundred, 5000 percent increase—in the UK um, among teenage females going into uh, gender clinics for help. You know, um, i I'm, i don't, you know, I'm, I'm experiencing dysphoria, or I don't identify with my biological sex, or whatever. Um, now, um, there does seem to be a good deal of evidence that there is some level of socialization that's happening there. Social influence that is not, that it's playing at least some role, maybe even a strong role mm-hmm. in um, nudging people, pushing them to identify as something other to, to, to question their uh, sex. And, um, and that's hotly debated. Everything in this conversation is hotly yeah. debated. So I don't even need to say, give that qualification. But um, yeah, I mean, you you have, um, there's a widespread study done by a Brown University professor, Lisa Littman, on what's called rapid onset gender dysphoria, which sounds, what does that even mean? Um, it has to do with teenagers with no prior history of gender dysphoria overnight kind of coming out is like, you know, they'll come home one day and say, I'm trans, I'm non-binary, I'm gender fluid. And I want to take hormones and transition. And then uh, Lisa Littman did a lot of study on this. I mean, again, this is like a massive, massive increase in every single Western country, New Zealand, I mean, all across Europe, Australia, mm-hmm. America, Canada. I mean, it's like, what, what, <laughs> what is going on here? Um, and she said she she discovered that an overwhelming majority of all of these teenagers have other, sometimes multiple co-occurring mental health issues. Uh, Mm -hmm. They were 10 times more likely to be on the autism spectrum than the regular population. Um, A lot of them are wrestling with previous trauma that hasn't been dealt with. Um, A lot of them, I mean, multiple personality disorder that they've been diagnosed with OCD, um, ADHD, and and anxiety, depression, all the, and just, um, and also they're coming out often happen in clusters. Like if you did, if, you know, their kid comes home, comes out as trans, and then, the parent kind of looks at their school environment and says, oh, like all of their friends are trans. Their favorite professor transitioned last year. And they're spending six hours a night on YouTube watching kind of pro trans like people saying, do you feel uncomfortable in your body? Which, you know, ask any 13 year old female, do you feel uncomfortable in your body? Do you love having a period? (laughs) What about your breasts? Like, does that mean, you know, like maybe you're, have you thought maybe you, you could be trans? I mean, I'm am almost quoting yeah. people. I mean, this is um, yeah. so you have a lot of heavy social media influence, school environment, and other mental health issues going on that aren't being addressed, and a lot of these kids are being fast tracked to pursue irreversible medical intervention. So, um, it's it this is a it's a big deal. It's a big deal. There's lawsuits happening already with kids, kind of on the other side saying. I was a confused teenager, and now I don't have breasts because my caretaker said, because I experienced dysphoria, I need to cut off my breasts. And it's um, I, w- I wish that was a I wish that was a hyperbolic statement. Um, there's been double mastectomies being performed in plain view on girls as young as 13 in California, government funded, 5.7 million dollar grant given to. A hospital to ex- kind of experiment on um, how to help young teenage girls with gender dysphoria and performing double mastectomies as young as thirteen. They're trying to get puberty blockers to halt the natural process of growing up as young as eight years old. I mean, this is this is like this is kind of where where the this this is, has become a crux of the debate. And for what it's worth, there's lots of older transgender people who are outraged at how quickly young teenagers are transitioning if you're adult if you're an adult your brain's fully developed and you want to pursue something hey free country do what you want is is kind of the Mm -hmm. um the typical perspective among older trans people but goodness gracious if you're 15 and wrestling with your gender identity like take some time don't don't take steps to medicalize that um especially if you haven't dealt with some trauma in the past, especially if you're dealing with other mental health issues that aren't being addressed, like this is not the quick fix that you think it um, is going to be. And yet, there's lots of medical trans- practitioners who are scared of getting sued or whatever, or don't want to be on the wrong side of history, who are just going along with it, and it's pretty eerie.
0: Mm-hmm. So, what what does it look like for those of us who who have who maybe uh, you know we we know a teenager, they are niece, there are nephew, um, you know, they're if if you're a youth pastor, they're part of your your group. What does it look like to love someone well through that? Because in in most cases, uh, we're not going to be the primary caregiver, and yet they're still facing these uh, societal mm-hmm. uh, pressures or or however you want to um, phrase it, and all these different things. Um, and then you you have their caregiver who you know could be on one side or the, What does it look like to love these mm-hmm. teenagers? in the midst of all of this?
1: Yeah. And that's, that's the question. Um, again, if you met one trans person, you met one trans person. So each one's going to (laughs) need, but honestly, I mean, um, one of the attractions to identifying as trans is, is the sense of community. I mean, um, and that's this comes from several people who who went through this, and then maybe later on they kind of realize I I don't think I'm trans. I don't even know what that means. I mean I I was a tomboy, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but they said that the draw, you know, you have an instant um, social network that is praising you up and down for being so courageous. That, especially if somebody's kind of isolated, maybe they're not fitting in at school, and then now here's this tight knit community that is that's attractive. So so I want to, so I, I want to ask the question, okay, so what, where's the church in all this? Like where, where are youth groups? Where's the fam? Like, um, why are they crave, we're all craving a tight knit community. Why haven't they found that? So to your question, how can you love somebody? I mean, to the best of our abilities to, to be a piece of that community that they or we all are, are searching for, be a good listener, uh, love them. Well, um, don't, belittle their, you know, their feelings. You know, this is something. Yeah. Even the phrase like, you know, oh, your feelings don't determine who you are. You know, I hear people say that. And I'm like, that's obviously true. But I don't want to, the word feelings can be used in different ways. Like I can say, you know, I feel tired. I feel like ice cream. But when my friends who do experience severe gender dysphoria it's not just a feeling in that same way that i feel like eating you know fried chicken tonight or something you know so we got to be careful out of ignorance and lack of listening minimizing somebody's real lived experience doesn't mean that their lived experience determines everything but man we got to be good good listeners true genuine listeners and be that community a piece of that community that we're all that we're all looking for um and yeah i i do think for Younger teenagers that that might be considering medical intervention, Um, man, that's tough because some people are so bent on that, that it's hard to speak otherwise. And they're being told if you don't transition, you're going to commit suicide. Those are your two options. And a lot of parents are being told, do you want an alive son or a dead daughter? Which one do you want? Well, of course, the parents are going to say an alive son, you know, if their female daughter is wrestling with this. But that's just such a horrible false dichotomy and those aren't the only two options you you don't you know you can have an alive daughter you know um they don't have to transition to to not commit suicide so um yeah i don't know i i, I would in some way through love through relationship through lots of listening i would still try to say let's let's delay this medical intervention i don't think this is the answer you know um it could produce a lot of harm in the long run. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, even just as you're talking, I mean, you, you've said it so much throughout this conversation, you say it so much in the book, just the key of listening and really just trying to understand, like even what you were mentioning with the feelings, like whenever I'm talking about feelings, I may mean something different than when you're talking about feelings or someone else is talking about, because like whenever, at least this is, this is just how I'm, uh, taking it like whenever it comes to the trans community and they're talking about sometimes feelings could be talking about identity versus uh you know what you were talking about versus the food and two completely different types of feelings
1: yeah yeah Um, and and even the pressure yeah yeah, the the pressure to have an identity and this is this we've known this for years psychologists have known this for years that um early adolescence you know is a time of a a real passionate search for who am I? You know? And this is nothing new, but yeah in this day and age where sexual and gender identities are kind of the front and center thing that's being promoted. And well what what are you non-binary, gender fluid? Are you two spirited? Are you, you know, um are you trans? Are you you know I just want to be straight. I mean, come on, like I'm white? You want to be a white, straight person? Like what do you want what do you a Trump supporter, you know? Like there's that kind mm-hmm. of like weird just so much pressure especially yeah. for younger people um to find out who they are to stare in the mirror and who are you you know deep down and, and that and, and older people sometimes just bemoan that you know and i could you know i understand the frustration you know it's easy to roll your eyes and say oh come on you know but but that's a real that's an incredibly real and oppressing thing that kids are searching for and also being pressured into so understanding the powerful need for an identity. And this is again where discipleship music come in, the, the beauty and power power of being a Christ follower as our um, ultimate and primary all-encompassing identity. Um, we need to disciple our students in that well. Um yeah. I was gonna say can you can you just even
0: talk more about that? Because I feel like you you do such a good job of that in the book of like placing like, hey, ultimately as Jesus followers, our our goal, our aim is to become more like Christ, no matter what our sexual identity is.
1: Right. Yeah, this is a big debate in the church. Should people identify as gay or trans or whatever? And for me, those, those are really secondary questions. Like whatever mm-hmm. label you want to use to describe your experience or whatever, like to me, that's, we could kind of talk about that later. You want to say you're non-binary, trans, trans? Okay, cool. Let's talk about Jesus, you know, Um, because he, if you're a Christ follower, you know, obviously Jesus should be the all-encompassing, all-controlling identity that you're surrounding everything else around. That doesn't mean you don't have other sub-identities or whatever. Like I, you know, the fact that I'm white, the fact that I'm a male, the fact that I'm married, like these have, have profound, I'm a father, you know, these, aren't insignificant aspects of my life. Uh, but yeah. none of that should be my ultimate identity. Um and, and that's kind of the the goal in which I think we should disciple young kids into like, look, you're experiencing bisexual attractions. Like, I, no way do I want to minimize that. And maybe even, I don't know, for your experience saying you're bisexual, maybe that's helpful for you. I, I know one, one friend of mine in particular, she's a female, experiences gender dysphoria, um, and uh, for her, when she found, but even female just was, didn't, I don't know, just, it, it just, conf- just whenever she said that word, even mm-hmm. it just conflicted. She didn't doubt it. It was just there. She is a female. Uh, she'd hear pronouns like she, her, and she just got these images of hyper femininity that just weren't her. It flared up her dysphoria. Um, and she's okay being called her now. So you know, yeah. people are like, you just said her. Um, <laughs> Uh, but when she found the the term trans and kind of what that described, she said it was so relieving to have a term to to name this experience that I've had my whole life and just didn't even know what it was I thought I was the only one I didn't know there was some public known term that I'm not abnormal. I'm not the only one that there is a name for this, you know so she, she says she's transgender and all she means is I am a female who experiences severe dysphoria is what she means by that Mm -hmm. term. So, you know, some people could say, no, you should never use trans, you know, like is that really the most important thing here? Here's a young believer in Christ who's sold out for Jesus, who experiences a a condition that none of us even have a clue what it feels like to not even be able to go outside some days because your anxiety is just crippling, you know, because of this un- known thing called gender dysphoria you know we, we don't know much about it where it comes from and why and um if if using the label trans to name that experience is helpful for them to me that's a I'm, I'm not going to that's her identity is trust me this person I'm talking about it's 100% on Jesus like she preaches yeah. the gospel way more in the last 3 years than I have my prime my whole life you know um yeah so I, I think i think sexual gender identities are are secondary let let's make sure um we're talking about Jesus and somebody is actually living their life surrounding surround or, Mm -hmm. you know, founded upon the throne of Christ on their life. Yeah. I think,
0: uh, and you, you alluded to it a little bit. I think one of the chapters that is incredible, that is, I mean, I say like one, all of the book is incredibly (laughs) helpful. Um, But one of the chapters that I do want to ask you about is you have a whole chapter called pronouns, bathrooms, and sleeping spaces, (laughs) which just seems to be like, whenever it comes to this conversation, like that is, those are the things that get talked about so yeah. much. And so I did just want to talk about it a little bit of just like, whenever it comes to these types of conversations, what are some things to think about that yeah. we don't normally think about whenever it comes to these conversations?
1: Yeah. I, I put that chapter last or almost last yeah. because that's, that <laughs> I hope people won't skip over it because I do think there's, as the layout of the book shows, lots oh. of other question th- questions that need to be wrestled with and answered before we can. Yep answer that. Um, yeah, but I mean, you, you want the soundbite conclusion that I give there or, um, uh, I bathrooms. Um, I do think bathrooms, um, changing spaces, they're, they're, they always have been and always should be based on biological sex for the sake of bodily privacy. Okay. That, that's my general position. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think biological males should use male bathrooms, females, females, um, we could talk about intersex. I've got some intersex friends. Yeah. Who, one who's literally both male and female. Okay. I mean, that's just, I could go into the biology of that, you know, and, and I don't know, you know, I, I think single stall restrooms are life giving for this person. I could think of, you know, mm-hmm. um, whenever they get flagged at airport, um, metal, metal detectors, whatever. And they need to get patted down and the people don't know should a male pat down or female i mean it's so mm-hmm. it's so embarrassing obviously yeah and some of my trans friends who just have a more of a masculine presence even though they're female they get misidentified a lot like one of my trans friends you know she's a just a tomboy right she she and and she knows she should go in the female bathroom. That's, that's where she goes. But when she goes in there, sometimes women are yelling at her, get out of here, little boy or whatever. It's like, mm-hmm. so I think at least before we even get into the bathroom thing, yeah, I think we need to, again, listening, we need to listen to some of the real tough experiences that genuine humble people have, uh, I again, you have a radical trans activist, small minority that is bathroom bills and this and this whole sports conversation and stuff. But the average trans person just wants to pee without having yeah. anxiety. You know, one of my trans friends that goes to co- church and doesn't drink any coffee because there's a huge fear mm-hmm. that wells up if they have to go to the bathroom in public because they have to go through that whole like, there's no yeah. bathroom that really, yes, I'm biologically this, but even that sometimes is stressful. So, understanding that empathizing with it is important but yes i think bathrooms based on biological sex for the sake of bio bodily privacy i do think females have the right especially to female privacy just because a male identifies as female that doesn't give that male i think a right to um, enter into female only spaces um Mm
0: -hmm. well i was going to say and i i think you frame it in such a way because this is really my point in asking the question of What is the most loving thing for us to do whenever it comes to the transgender community, which I think is the thing that gets bypassed in all of these conversations?
1: Yeah, I I give advice there. If it's financially possible, you're a church leader. I kind of hone in on the church aspect. Single stall bathrooms, it's the first thing trans people look at. If they show up at your church, the first thing they look for, is there a single stall bathroom? First thing. Hmm. So your loving greeter, your you know, whatever, your style of music, none all that's a distant secondary or sermon. They want to know if I have to go to the bathroom, is there a place for me here? Yeah. Um, so yeah, if it's possible, single stall bathrooms are a great, a great way. Um, um pronouns, I as you know, I spent a lot of time yeah really wrestling with that. I think there's different views on that. Both are uh raise really good points. I do for it took me ten pages to argue for this position, really, but I do land on the side of I think um, uh, using somebody's pronouns is is the way to go. Um, yeah. If you refuse to use somebody's pronouns, again, say a male wants you to say they or she. Um, uh, if you refuse to do that, you have immediately ended that relationship. You know, um, and. It's hard, again, it's hard for us to understand. Like, So one of my friends, biological female, they prefer they, them pronouns. It's like, well, what does that mean? That's plural. You're not plural, you know, and you can kind of mock it or whatever, but it's like, wait a minute, have you asked them why they prefer they, them? Because they are a sold out follower in Jesus and they don't believe it's right to be referred to as he, him even though that might be the preference that might resonate with their internal sense of who they are. Um, So they choose they, them as a way to follow Jesus to not identify as the opposite sex. And yet when they hear she, her, it flares up the dysphoria so bad that they typically will be led to self harm.
0: Um,
1: So it's like, Oh gosh. All right. They, you know, like, Oh, can't I meet them where they're at and, and not, exacerbate their dysphoria. So, um, yeah. yeah. So I think using the pronouns they prefer, and I, I understand the argument. Like some people say, well, you're just, you're feeding delusion or I'm lying to them and the Bible says thou shalt not lie. And I work through yeah. a lot of that. Yep. I think, you know, we do have biblical precedents for seeing language as being flexible. It's flexible. Um, uh, mm-hmm. I think the phrase I use in the book is, you know, language is shared Social space between two sometimes different worldviews. Yeah. And we see Paul like on Mars Hill, where he understood that his audience was very different than him. And he kind of was very strategic in using terms to kind of meet them where his audience was at. And I think that's that kind of sets a posture of how we should use language in this shared spo- social space where not everybody's going to have the same, you know, Christian worldview on human nature um, as, as we do. Yeah.
0: Uh, I, I wanted to ask if you have a little bit more time, I have three questions, but if not, I could just, okay, Okay. I'll I'll
1: try to be quicker with these. I feel like it'd be very (laughs) long-winded.
0: No, no, I, I, I love it. I just want to make sure that I'm respectful of your time and everything. Uh, one of, one of my favorite parts of the book is you open up, uh, you open up the book with a conversation between you and your friend, Kevin, uh, who, who happens to be gay (laughs) And, you know, you're having this conversation around your last book A people to be loved. And he says, we don't have many straight Christians talking about us the way that you do. You're actually trying to see us as you talk about us. It feels like you're talking with us. And like the thing that I just wanted to ask, because honestly, like that's like that's part of the reason why I started this conversation that started this podcast Mm -hmm. is to is so that people can feel like that and any, any thoughts on sure. creating that type of, and not necessarily just for me, but I think uh, for, for lots of Jesus followers, or you don't necessarily have to be a Jesus follower to create that type of community as yeah. well, but just any thoughts on that, how you do that better.
1: I mean, it comes back again to, to just being a really good listener, having the courage to ask people, you know, Hey, what term should you use or why do you do that? And, mm-hmm. you know, um, for instance, um, The term transgenderism, most trans people don't like that term. Most non-trans people like you and I, you know, we use it, we see it all the time, whatever. And, um, it's like, well, why? I'm going to go ask my trans friend, what do you think about the term transgenderism? And if they say, yeah, I don't like that. Well, what, like genuinely, like why is that phrase aggravating, you know? And as one of, I just talked to one of my friends yesterday and she said, um, you know just it's a nameless, faceless concept that's often just what would you say, um, has become like an enemy that we can vilify. Hmm. Like, wow, that's that's loaded and profound. A nameless, faceless thing that Christians find easy to vilify. That's that's a little hurtful to me when I, I might be correlated with transgenderism even though am I your enemy that you just want to vilify or you just want to yeah it's easy just to attack a concept and not get to know the actual person anyway so there's um even something as important as language you know like understanding what terms are unnecessarily offensive what terms aren't what are some things that I do that you do that we do that are offensive that I'm not aware of I'm having the courage to repent from some of that you know um so um yeah, listening, 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 um, and that—that—that's. I, I, it took me a couple of years to realize that that is kind of rare among straight evangelical leaders. And that's my my friend Kevin, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we we got along really well because yeah, he's like yeah, you you, not around a lot of straight people that genuinely listen to what we have to say. Mm-hmm.
0: What have you learned about being in community with people who are part of the trans community that you didn't know before not being part of that community? I would
1: say that there are things. Okay, so, and I'm still learning this, that this is really tough. So, within the trans conversation, you know, you have people, obviously, and then you have concepts, you know, people or lived experience or story, and then you have, you know, male and female and gender versus sex and what is a biblical view of anthropology human nature and um, how should we think through transitioning like and here's what i learned it's so hard is that th- both are obviously very important you can't really love people well until you understand the very concepts of the things we're talking about and vice versa
0: yeah
1: um i don't think if you, all you do is i'm just gonna love my friend i'm not gonna think about human nature it's like all right well when they decide to transition like do you know anything about whether you should be supportive of that or not or um, so both are equally important but here's the thing when non-trans people talk about the concepts we have to be so 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 sensitive to how that can unintentionally be or feel very dehumanizing mm-hmm. and I, I've been trying to for years I've been trying to learn how I can because so we do need to talk about the concepts like But even now, like even when I blog, you know, it's very easy for me to write a blog on some of these things and argue my position, but I always have to ask, like, how is the other person who is trans going to feel, am I going to help their, am I going to nurture their faith journey or am I going to hinder it by the very Mm -hmm. way I'm going about the conversation? So I don't always have, again, I don't have like, and here's the magic formula, I think, but just being aware of how hurtful even talking about the concepts can can be um, one of my friends it's actually the one who goes by they them um i, I asked him i said you know okay uh biological sex it's and it was, uh, this person's a good friend of mine so i could talk freely about it i said okay it's mm-hmm. unless you have a, a severe intersex condition you simply factually material materially are male or female. Like it's just a biological reality. Um, is there a place to kind of help people to see that? Like if they are kind of denying that or whatever, like, isn't it unloving to not um, just kind of alert them to a basic fact of human nature, you know? And they said, yes, 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 of course, yes. Um, we don't believe in a flat earth, you know, and we, we do want to follow basic scientific facts, but it, it means, but she said, where they said only if you're in relationship with them, like if you're just lobbying something from a distance, but you're not really taking the time to get to know them, that makes all the difference in the world. But if you are committed in relationship with them, then yeah, you can wrestle with some basic facts about life that may be a real struggle for them to accept, but just don't do it from a distance. You know, that, that doesn't help. So I thought that was helpful. Mm -hmm.
0: Just as we're uh, closing, one of the things that I would just, uh, would just love, uh, or for actually before I move on to this, I would like to ask, is there anything that we haven't covered in the book that you're like, Hey, be like, I, I would love to talk about
1: this. No, nah, there's a lot of stuff we haven't covered, but no, <laughs> yeah, I, I, think well, we covered, I know of, I, we've given en- enough for people to chew on, I think. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Um, Hey, okay, just as we're wrapping up, I kind of wanted to, uh, just finish our conversation with what, why is it important that as followers of Jesus as churches that we, that we have these types of conversations.
1: Um, I would say real quickly and easily um, questions surrounding sex, sexuality, sex, sexuality, and gender have become the most pressing ethical questions facing the church today. We can't hide these to be able to say, this is just 3% of the population. Why are we focused on this? maybe but look at your school curriculum your public school curriculum and see what's being taught um look at some of the things going on on a policy level in in um in you know the broader society um find out from your pastor when a newcomer comes to church what's the first or second question they ask about the church mm-hmm. <laughs> it becomes more of just a three percent um question or ask any young person person under 30 who has left the church why they left I'm going to guess more than 50% of the time it's going to have to do with how the church handled or mishandled the LGBTQ conversation. Maybe even more than that. I mean, we're one, one friend of mine who's kind of an expert in church relations in this topic. You know, he said we're about to lose an entire generation of young Christians because we are, are either silent on this or we have just completely mishandled going about talking about it. So, um yeah, there there's for certain, there's a good level of, I would say, um, beautiful urgency to mm-hmm. um, not become an expert. You know, you don't that that's not realistic for most people. But to be educated, to don't be ignorant anymore, to understand what the conversation's about. Um, and I, I hear from parents all the time. Yeah, I kind of saw this conversation as something from a distance until my son came out. My daughter came out. My nephew came out. My best friend came out. My wife came out. My husband, you know, um, few people aren't relationally touched by this topic on some level. So yeah, mm-hmm. silence is not an option. Uh, one,
0: one last question for, per, for, for a church, who, or even just an individual is like, Hey, I, like, I want to move towards that. Like I want to be more loving to the trans community. Um, what advice would you say for getting started?
1: Well, I mean, I hate to say it, but I mean, I I think my book is a one stop shop yeah. in terms of a, start, a good starting point. <laughs> um, yeah, and then there's 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 other books out there that address good aspects of it. I think all of them, none of them are really as as comprehensive and relational. Yeah. Um, I Again, I, I I wish that weren't the case. Wish there's a thousand books out there. Yeah. But, Um, get to know trans people, um, do a lot of listening, um, for youth in particular, by the way, we, we do have, um, the most comprehensive youth curriculum that just came out actually when, whenever this releases, so it came out on January 14th, um, called Christian sexuality conversations about Jesus, sex, and gender. It's a comprehensive video based, um, story driven, um, discipleship experience for youth, that youth leaders or even parents can go through with their youth. Because I think youth are, we, we again, this is not, a, we absolutely have to disciple our Christian youth in this conversation. They're, they're being mm-hmm. discipled by somebody. Yeah. <laughs> they're being discipled by a lot of people if they have yeah. an internet connection and they don't live in an Amish community. They're, they're being discipled <laughs> by a myriad of voices. That's a given. So my question is, what role are you playing? I'm, I'm speaking parent to parent. Yeah, um, or church leader to church leader, what role are you? Where is your voice in their discipleship journey? Um, because it's it's happening, and the church yeah. needs to speak louder than the world on this.
0: Yeah, well, I highly recommend your book, Embodied, and I know that people are going to want to pick it up and continue to learn from you. So, where's the best place for people to go to go to do those yeah. things, Preston?
1: Well, yeah, that you know, people who doesn't buy a book on Amazon these days, so it's it's, it's available <laughs> wherever books are sold. If you do get it. I'm not sure when this is, when's this, do you know when this is going to be released? Um, uh, it'll it'll be out in early February, right around whenever the book's okay. coming out. Okay, so it, it, it the book comes out February 1st. So if you're hearing this, it's probably already out. So yeah, Amazon's a good place. Uh, I, I would say if you, well, you probably want to read it first, but my publisher, David C. Cook, they do amazing um, group discounts for like ministries. So I'm already at Wim Ministries. Uh, looking into that. But I think you can get something like 60% off if you order like a bulk order from David C. Cook, if you're some kind of uh, ministry, church, denomination, campus ministry or something. so. But yeah, I'm sure you'd want to check it out first before you buy a bunch of them.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast today.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me on.
0: Hey, if you learned a lot from my conversation with Preston, you know, really we try to have conversations uh, to where we learn from them each and every single time. And so the best way to make sure that you don't miss a single episode is by subscribing to the podcast. I'm whatever podcast player you use, whether that be Spotify or Stitcher or Google Play or Apple Podcasts or whatever that might be. Um, and also I would love to hear from you. If something really resonated with you from this conversation, reach out to me at Caleb J Mason. Would love to hear from you. Anyway, thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Learner's Corner Podcast. Thanks to Garrett and Sam for helping make the podcast awesome. And uh, yeah, until next time, keep learning and keep growing.